the flips and managing other single family properties is just a huge revenue generator. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Sterling Chapman. Sterling, how are you doing today? Good, Todd. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to have you on. Uh, man, you, you've been busy. You've done a lot of things over the last couple of, or not more than, more than a couple of years, but you've, you've bought a, a, a pretty good size rental portfolio. It sounds like you got about 80 rentals. Um, also, uh, I, I don't want to say transition, but also hitched on the, uh, the multifamily and the, the syndication. So you're doing, you're syndicating, uh, real estate as well, and you're flipping property. So you got a lot going on. You're starting to do a lot of um, the property management in-house. Tell our listeners more about you, your background, what you got going on. Yeah, so I started in in, in, um, in telecom. And so I, I went to, I went to, I'm in South Louisiana. I went to LSU for finance, uh, started selling insurance right out of high school, right out of college was terrible at it just because I was 22 and, and was not very great at managing living on a hundred percent commission. Um, so then I transitioned into cell phones and um, started in, in, you know, in telecom, worked my way up through there. It was going to be the next CFO of this big, you know, telecom corporation. That was my big dream to be this big corporate mm. guy all my life because that's what my dad was. And I just always thought that that was like the best option. And then um, I went back to get my MBA around 2017 um, and a lot of things kind of started happening around this 2017 mark. The first one was I went back to get my MBA and I took an entrepreneurship class and I was like, oh, that'd be so cool if like I was the one in charge and I was like working this hard to make myself rich versus the man, you know? And yeah. so that, that like kind of, but I didn't know how to do anything. You know, I was in telecom. I couldn't tell you how a router worked. So I was like, <laughs> well, I can't just start a telephone company. Um, and, and then I read rich dad, poor dad. Well, first I, I, I read, um, Dave Ramsey and I told my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, I was like, "We're never going to have any credit card debt. We're going to pay cash everything." Mm. She's like, "Yeah, whatever." And a week later, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I was like, "Scratch that. We're going to get as much debt as we can, buy as many assets as we can." And so um, somebody told me about Bigger Pockets, and I was in the process to train for triathlons around that time. So a lot of road time with the running and the biking, and I would just, I listened to probably every bigger pockets episode in that, you know, in that six month time frame, and all their read all their books and audio books and stuff and um, bought my first rental property in summer 2018 then bought another one a month later, uh, then was out of money and decided I was just going to take me two years to save up another down payment. So then I started reading some books on creative financing options and bought a bunch of duplexes and, um, and fourplexes on seller financing with very little money down did some partnerships to buy some more uh, rental properties and then got into the, the birth strategy where we buy and distress, fix them up, refi the money out of it. And that's when things really took off because we were able to recycle the same capital over and over. Keep on again. moving it. Yep. And, and, um, and I was self-managing and stuff. And, and this, you know, towards the end of 2019, I had a newborn baby, a full-time job. Mm. We we're doing the podcast. I was managing mm. 26 units at the time. And I was like, this is just not, fun or scalable mm. and so yeah. i i was i was still training at the time and so i listened to um uh 
Joe Fairless's best ever apartment syndication book on um, while I was riding my bike and listened to the book. And I was like, man, that's, that's gold. So I started my podcast um, in November of 2019 to kind of start that thought leadership platform to, you know, establish myself as an expert in the industry to be able to raise capital to buy these big buildings. And um, it was a long time before we ever actually bought a big building, but um but but yeah, I mean, I got the bug. I started going to all of the conferences. I met partners. Um, we closed on our first apartment syndication in February 2021. Closed on our second one uh, that summer, and and um, you know we're just we're just going going full gear now. But um, it brought the property management inside in in house, and it's going so well that we decided to to go and manage other people's properties. You know, we have. We have a local meetup here in Baton Rouge and the podcast. And so, and I'm pretty active in our, you know, our local Facebook groups and stuff as well and and speak a lot of the, some other meetups around town. So I, I have a large network here locally and people are always calling asking who's a good property manager in town. And the answer is always nobody the hell sucks. So instead of just, you know, delivering that bad news and walking away for the 400th time, I just decided to, to be the good property manager in town. Hmm. Are you... So you're growing the property management company. You're taking third parties, not just for your own properties. Correct. Nice. Nice. Are you going to focus, is the focus on, because you own a lot of rental properties that are smaller mm-hmm. and you have your larger apartments. Are Is there a focus? Is it smaller properties? Is it large properties? Are you doing both? So we're doing both. Um, this has been an ongoing identity crisis since the inception of Crestworth Capital <laughs> in 2018. And the fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot of money to be made in single family housing. Now, I want to own big apartment buildings. I want to manage big apartment buildings. You know what I mean? But, you know, the story I just told you, we decided to buy an apartment complex in November of 2019. And we didn't close on that apartment complex until February of 2021 right so there's there's 14 months of not doing any revenue generating activities in the in the the, in you know what i'm saying in between there so just fill it with single families like we made we make hundred you know we make tons of money flipping houses we you know on the months that we don't have anything else our rental income helps us stay afloat you know what i mean like so to answer your question we've always kind of just been this back and forth like because everybody you talk to is like, oh, well, I used to do single family houses, but I've I've graduated to multifamily and I'll never look back. And I mean, great for them. I guess, you know, they just, for whatever reason, maybe their resources or their journey evolved differently. For me, though, it has just been huge to continue to flip houses and buy rental properties in the single family space to generate cash to go in and use as earnest money deposit on a big apartment complex to go co-invest with my limited partners in a large apartment complex, to go dump money into marketing, to, you know, refresh our websites and our lead magnets and our drip campaigns and stuff, to pay the employees, to pay the underwriters, to pay the marketing director. You know what I mean? Um, Because these apartment complexes are great and we'll be rich when we sell them in five years. But in the meantime, like the acquisition fee just didn't go that far for the, the type and scale and size of company we're trying to build. So the flips and managing other single family properties is just a huge revenue generator for us to ultimately drive our long-term goal 
of, of you know managing and owning mostly large apartment companies. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people, uh, like you just said, they they leave it behind. They they maybe got their start doing smaller properties, small single families, duplexes, whatever it was, and then they transition into the larger multifamily. A larger commercial and they leave it all behind and that's okay that can work but there's a lot of money to be made in the single family industry and it is now proven when you see companies like blackstone and bigger rates that are in the single family industry and they're not backing away they continue right. to buy and to like that single family home um it, there's there's nothing i think part of the in my opinion, part of it. And so I still have a pretty good sizable single family portfolio. I have sold quite a few of them, but um, I more sell the ones that are like in the bottom. Right. And then I'm just like, yeah. I'm sick of this building. I don't really like it anymore. I, you know, it's not cash flowing as well as we want. And we either have to put a lot of money into it or we sell it. And it's just like, man, let's just sell this thing. So sure. I do sell some stuff, but I do have my portfolio as well. And I really like it because it's a supplemental and I feel like it's a different industry as well as multifamily. There, there's differences. Yeah, there's it's diversification. diversification. You know, like, look, when single family goes up and down based on emotion, right? And, yeah. and my cash flow doesn't really go up and down based on emotion, maybe a little bit, but that doesn't really go down, up. So I don't care what the value of that single family house is, but if the emotion gets over exuberant and I'm like, Hey, there's a ton of equity here. I can either sell or potentially refinance. And that's great. Multifamily is a different goes up differently. So they act differently and, and not at the same time necessarily as each other. So I like them. I think that it's diversified, but it's funny how so many people like just leave it behind. Um, I think it's a mindset thing. I think it's a mindset. Yeah, and I understand. Understand like focus and stuff. And we've readjusted our focus, right? We yeah. changed. You know, so when we started off the when we started off the year, we go, all right, what are our goals? What are we trying to accomplish? And and. You know, in that in that initial rendering of what 2023 was going to look like, you know, we were buying 60 houses and we we're selling 30. And you know, as we've as we've kind of mm. gone to some conferences, gotten some clarity, re, you know, recentered where we want to head as a company, you know, uh, our goals have now changed. So, like, I have on my you know for my quarterly rocks for the second quarter to to get five single family houses, to get five flips under contract, which is a significant step down from the 15 a quarter that I'd originally committed to. But I just, I want to reallocate some of that time resource to, to acquisition on the large multifamily side. Yeah. That makes so sense. I, instead of like, I'm, I'm keeping the single family for what I need the single family for, but, um, but I don't want to put all of my time and energy into, to grow in that. You know, I just, I, I really right. just want enough single family to fund and to fill in the gaps on these much larger 
Um, yeah, and they, but they don't have to be enemies. I think is the biggest point. Like they don't have right. to. You 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 don't have to mutually be exclusive. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. And I think a lot of it's because it's like uh, it almost sounds embarrassing to say, "Oh, I own a bunch of right. single family homes." When you're a Dude. multifamily guy, you want to be like, "No, I just own apartment buildings." Like that's it. Yeah, it's an ego <laughs> thing. It's an ego yeah, thing. It is. It is. It's an ego thing. Uh, I don't think Blackstone is going. Oh, like we can't tell anybody we own thousands of single family homes. Don't tell. Them, they'll tell them they're gonna yeah. they're gonna be they're gonna think we're bad <laughs> yeah exactly uh, yeah and well now I, people are buying I, people are building whole communities right of single family homes and and that's like the new thing so we're just i, had, a, I, I had an operator one of my operating partners called me yesterday you know, this guy's got 6500 multifamily units and he was like hey i want to i want a single family portfolio can if i fund that can you go find it and put it together and and it's just you know it's it's a testament to the, like you know, he doesn't have to prove himself to anybody he's got sixty five hundred units you know yeah. what I mean yeah. uh, the guy the guys that are touting the I don't touch single family flag you know they've usually got a couple hundred units like you yeah. know it's, it's just that, that traditional ego thing yeah love it um so it's funny you said earlier I want to I want to go back to this you you mentioned you read a, a you know uh, Dave um Dave <laughs> Dave Ramsey. Totally, totally yeah. forgot the name. Um, whoever that guy is, Dave, he read Dave Ramsey and, and you're like, this is awesome. This is what I'm going to do. And and then you read Kiyosaki and you're like, well, this is what I'm going to do. Well, well, I just want to know kind of like what clicked, what clicked with Kiyosaki that all of a sudden kicked Ramsey out of bed. So, so I, I'll back up and I'll tell the full story. So um, I, at the same time I was finishing up my MBA, uh, my my boss, I just gotten promoted and I was making over six figures for the first time in my life. At the same time, my boss got surplus and lost his job, which was another really catalyst to me getting into a backup income source, right? That whole like, you give 80 hours a week for your entire life to this big corporation, assuming that they're going to be equally, you know, uh, wanting to take care of you. And it's just not the case, you know, they-, yeah. they and at the very least, annually review the numbers and you know tell this X number percentage of people they don't have a job anymore, regardless of of how long they've served and how well they've served and how you know what I mean. So, so that was another catalyst. But but going back to to so I'd just gotten a promotion, so I was making over six figures. So I told my I went to my dad to to brag and to you know hey be be proud of me. I'm making over six figures, and he was like that's great, son, but you know, you need to figure out something really smart to do with your money. Because I know a lot of people who have made a lot of money and lost it all. And they look like bigger fools than the guy who's never had any to begin with. Yeah. And I was like, I'm like, that's okay. So I took that advice and I went and bought a bundle of like financial books. Like I Googled like top personal finance books mm. and ordered like three of them. And just so happened the first one I picked up was Dave Ramsey with the total money makeover. And, you know, it just seemed like good financial, you know, one of the things that, and I, I disagree with Dave about 90% of the things that he says, but one of the things I love that he's always said was don't buy things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like, you know, because that's, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that is great. That's America, baby. That's America. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but when I read, it just, it, 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 I mean, it's easy to not get excited about Ramsey because it's such a slow play, right? Yeah. Like, do do this. Like, don't indulge for the next thirty years, and you'll be set. Like, ah, 
So when I read Kiyosaki and they're like, I don't know, you use other people's money. You can 10 X this like overnight. And I'm like, all right, that that's, that's kind of more my pace. You know, um, I wanted to grow. I wanted to scale quickly. I, um, and I just, I, I guess it, it just, I remember the day that I read that because I'm not a good reader. I read a ton now just because, you know, I just need the information, but, but I'm not a, I'm not a fast reader. So you know, for me to sit still and read more than an hour, it just it usually doesn't happen. But I will sit and read every morning. And so that day, it was in, it was like February 4th, 2018. I sat mm-hmm. and opened up um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad to read for, you know, 30 minutes before work. And I skipped work that day. I sat right there on my couch and, <laughs> and, and read the, like, however many hours it took me, you know, <laughs> twice as many. Twice as many as it probably would have taken you, but but no, I no, I'm a slow there. reader too. <laughs> I didn't get off the couch. I you and, you and I would be sounding all words together. <laughs> and and but and before the next day, I'd already ordered you know all his advisors' books. Right, I'd I'd gotten wow. uh, Tom Wheelwright's Tax Free Wealth. I'd gotten Ken McElroy's ABC's The Real Estate yeah. Investing. I'd gotten Garrett Sutton's uh, Start Your Own Corporation. Um. But yeah, that was, it, it just took off. And, and you know, sometimes over the years, it, it is it has felt like maybe I've flown too close to the sun with the leverage. You know, that's always a conversation. You ever ask mm. anybody who doesn't have anything, doesn't know anything about real estate, like, don't get over leverage. What a lot of people don't think about, though, is that, you know, when, when you hear the term over leverage, it's, it's not a, it's usually not a function of LTV. It's usually a function of like your debt to income right yeah it's over leverage sure. like you could i mean people say oh well, i've got a house that you know my loan on it is 96 percent and they'll say well that's that's over leveraged well not really that's completely irrelevant over leverage is i can't make my monthly payments right yeah. because that same house could could appreciate could triple in value over the next three years and now you're 96, but the rent could not grow, right? Yeah. And now, now your 96% LTV is is really like 30% LTV, but your rent still doesn't cover that mortgage payment. You're over leveraged, even though you're at 30% LTV. Um, versus, I've got tons of properties that I'm 100% LTV, and they cash flow quite nicely. So they're yeah. they're just not they're not over leveraged because of the debt that I have in place. Yeah, that, there's a there's a big point right there. I, I, I love that point. I want to make sure we hammer that home. There's a lot of people that get concerned about the LTV, the loan to value. And that, I agree with you, that means very, very little, very little. What matters the most is what's your debt service coverage? How much does that debt cost you versus the income that's coming in? When I had these all of these single family houses and I was refinancing, I did a re- big refinance uh, years ago. And uh, I didn't care what the appraisal came in. And that that meant nothing to me. It, it, honestly, yeah. like if the value came in at 500,000, who cares? I'm not going to do 75% of 500,000. I'm not going to do 60%. I might do 40% because that's where the debt service made sense to me. I wanted my properties at, you know, 175 or better debt service coverage ratio because I wanted to make sure I could make my payment every single month. That's what matters. Yeah, and I, I love that you mentioned that because so many people are like, "Oh, you know, I'm only at seventy five percent LTV." Yeah, but you can't make your mortgage. Like, yeah, I'm I don't curious. So, you know, so, I'm I'm not over leveraged. I'm at seventy five percent LTV. Well, great. 
You know, a lot of these multifamily guys were doing the same thing. Well, we're at 65% LTV. Well, yeah, but you're at 1.2% debt or 1.2 debt service coverage ratio. And, you know, if a little bit of things happen wrong, now all of a sudden you're at zero, like you're year yeah. one, right? You're not making your payments. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny you read those books. You brought me back to like these kind of like old days of like picking up. I I was in the library. I like I never spent time in the library. And when I started like getting yeah. into this stuff, I'm like and in, in the library finding books and like reading these books. I'm like in a corner in the library, paging through these books. And I'm like, never spent time in a library prior to to getting into this stuff. But yeah, it's it's just so it's so fun to especially in the beginning years to like dive into all that stuff. I kind of did the same thing. I bought like, you know, you find an author you're like really click with and you just all of a sudden find all his books. Kiyosaki does a great job because he's got his advisors, you know, so that's so good. What he did was so smart. Um, And it really gets you into like buying every single one of his books. Yeah. It's so crazy because like, um, I'd never, it, it brings us back to like school and how like jacked up the school system is because I had never read a book. I mean, I, I remember being assigned yeah. books. I, I could not force myself to sit and read uh, through a book. I would buy like the when I graduated, version. Right, right. When I, when I graduated from high school, I had, I had never read a book. Probably by the time I graduated from college, I'd still have never yeah. like, you know, actually read a book. I did a bunch yeah. of cliff notes stuff, but it, dude, in the last five years, I've read no less than 150 real estate and business books and and other personal development. I mean, just, I cannot eat them up fast enough. You know, I just finished 75 hard last week and like, uh, you know, you have to read 10 pages a day. Well, I got carried away. And like, by the time I got to the end, I added it all up and I'd read six books in two and a half months, you know, and that's (laughs) way, way more than the 750 pages. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I usually ask this later, but we're on books. What's what's a what's a book that maybe either you've read lately or that you're just like really high on? What's a book that you want to recommend to our listeners? So I, there's two books that I'm really high of that little like group of six that I just finished. Um, there, well, there's a lot of them that said it. They were all great books. I, somebody asked me like, of these six books, which one would you recommend? And I said all of them, just in different seasons for different reasons. Yeah, there's a big. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, so like one of the books that I read, and I forget, it was somebody I interviewed on my podcast that recommended it to me. It might have been you. I don't, I don't know, but it was the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Hmm. He is a. Have you ever heard me. of Naval Ravikant? No. He's this, no. He's this big tech investor. He's from India, and he like he got really famous as a tech investor because he he was like right all the time. Like he, like, he was like one of the first investors in like Uber and Google and like, like uh, mm. maybe not Google, but like, you know what I mean? Like he has like five, like of the most famous companies that you've heard of. He like was one of the first investors. So wow. he's like, obviously it went to something. And the book is about, is about wealth and happiness. And it's just about like, Hey, this is how I got rich. And this is how I get, ha- I got happy. Uh, that was a really good one. Another really good one that I've, I'm into and I keep, I've probably opened it a hundred times is uh, Don Winters uh, building an elite organization. Um, do you know who Don Winter is? Yep. Yep. With DLP capital. Yep. So we, we, we use traction in our, we've used DOS, used DOS in our business for a long time. And um, 
basically what what Don did is just kind of supercharged traction, supercharged EOS with like all the other business books, right? Like you've got all these concepts from like Jim Collins books, like your BHAG and your your WIG, your wildly important goals. And he just uh, kind of, so it's like kind of a supercharged uh, version that a more ro robust approach to like structuring your organizational cadence. Um, so yeah. I, I found it very beneficial. We've, we've revamped a lot of our, our meeting schedules and kind of how we approach our goals and tasks and stuff because of it. Love it. Love it. Taking a book and actually implementing what's inside of the book is maybe the most challenging part because we can all read books and love yeah. the book. But then do we actually take the action steps to implement that into our into our business or into our daily life? And and I yeah. find myself I found myself continuing to buy a bunch of new books and load up my bookshelf. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. It's like there's so many books there um that i've all read but i don't implement any of them and so i found myself doing that and i'm like okay i gotta stop reading i gotta stop buying on these new books i gotta go back into these books that i've already read that i've liked and start implementing yeah. some of the stuff that these authors are talking about um so that's kind of what i've been working on over the last really probably two years is rereading yeah. some of the books i really liked and, and going okay what can we implement how, how many things can i take out of this book so love, love yeah. implementing the things you're <laughs> reading out of your books <laughs> It's, it's so huge and it's such a problem because like, yeah. I, I guess it's the way our brains are designed. Like we just get excited about the new information. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but then we, and as visionaries, we, we like, you know what I mean? New shiny deals, but, but, but then like, we don't like the, like the, the boring work of the implementation. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, man, I just need to go back and get these, these books and just, you know, clear my desk and set them on my desk and, and go back through them and like, all right, these are the four key concepts and just write it all down. And like, mm -hmm. how are we going to incorporate that? Hormozy talks about that. Um, he, he was like, I don't care if you read 50 books this year. I'd much rather see you implement five, you know? Yep. Yeah. I think that that's more important, right? Read, read, read five, read them three times each, read them 10 times right. each. Like if you want to read 50 books, read five books, 10 times. Yeah, yeah that's sure. going to be probably more valuable than reading 50 different books. Um, you started a podcast and you were doing business, right? But you started this podcast, you were buying, um, you know, rentals, but you had this vision of buying these syndication or, or doing syndications, buying larger apartment buildings, but you hadn't bought anything. You started a podcast. And a lot of people, I think, have this limited belief that they have to wait to become a thought leader. They have to wait to... Uh, do that until they get, you know, whatever they, they, they got this number yeah. in their head, a thousand units, 10,000 units, 5,000, whatever it might be. They've got to wait until they get to a certain point before they can start talking about it at all. Uh, what, what's your advice with somebody like that? And I mean, you started this podcast before buying buildings. Yeah. Why, why did you feel confident in doing that? So that's a funny topic. And um, I think I said earlier that I had 26 units when I, when I started uh, a podcast, but that's not true. I had 26 units when I turned them over to third-party management. I had 18 units when I started the podcast because I remember, I remember wanting to start the podcast and I remember asking my cousin, I'm like, how many units do you think I would need to, before I could like start a podcast on this stuff? And he was like, well, how many you got? And I was like, 18. He's like, that sounds like a good number. He's like, you're like, all right. <laughs> 
he's like, are you going to be the expert or are you going to be interviewing experts? And I was like, I'm going to be interviewing experts. He goes, well, then you don't need any. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you're not, nobody, nobody's, you're not claiming to be an, an expert. You're just claiming to have expert guests that you're interviewing. You don't need any credentials to ask questions. And that's all I started off doing was asking questions. Yep. It's sometimes easier to not be an expert because you are truly asking the questions with real curiosity. You want, yeah. you don't know the answer and you want to know the answer. When you're the expert and you're bringing on guests that are maybe, maybe not as uh, you know, maybe don't have as much experience as you, you have to dig into those questions. It's a little more difficult potentially, but man, yeah, as long as you're curious, that's the thing, as I say to people, as long as you're curious and you can truly just dive into real questions and, and ask what yeah. you want to know, because if you want to know it, somebody else wants to know it. Right. Right. And, and, and that is, um, that, that is a very great topic to describe kind of the evolution of, of my podcast anyway. Cause like in the early days, it was, it was very, very scripted, very dry. I, I haven't gone back and listened to those first few episodes, but I'm sure they're terrible, but I had every question written out. Yeah. You know? yeah and, yeah. Uh, and then what I found was all of the good stuff came from the rabbit holes of my own curiosity. Right. So when mm -hmm. I have it, well, you know, you've been on my show, but I just, I'm like, Hey, introduce yourself. Tell us your story. And then you start your story and then I'm just like, oh, well, oh, he has short-term rentals. I want to know more about short-term rentals. Hey, yeah. tell me about these short-term rentals, you know, um, yeah. or, or whatever. But, but, you know, I've always said, I don't care if anybody listens to the show. Uh, it just, it forces me to continue to network and continue to learn. Yeah. And, and I am, you know, I feel like probably 75% of my guests are more experienced than me. And you're right. When you get, you know what I mean? When you get Jay Scott on your show, you're like, I legit have some questions for this dude. You know what I mean? But when you get, you know, when you, in which not, I'm not trying to diminish, you know, the value that they're bringing because they do bring value. But when you get Susie with six houses down the street on the show and you, you're so much more advanced than that, you do have to think differently yep. and dig for the questions. Dig a little not, more. You're not apps. You're not, you know, doing it from genuine curiosity because you already know the answers. You're trying to like, yeah, lob softballs to your listeners. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, and and you can't lie to yourself. You do care that people listen to the show, otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. But I get what you're saying. Uh, it's part of the show and a big part of the show is a learning environment for you, a networking environment for you. Right. Um, it's definitely the same thing for me. You know, I love doing the show. It doesn't, it's not to bring me fame and fortune. Um, but right. I do care. I, I want people to well, listen. Yeah. I want people I, to say, Hey, I've, I've heard your show before. I love I, that. You know, <laughs> I, I, no, I do. I, 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 obviously I want people to listen yeah, to and, right. I, and, I, and I check how many downloads I get. Yeah, I want them to be high. curious, you know, <laughs> but the true value doesn't come from that. Right. Right. Like, right. I, and, and, and it, in its truest sense, the value doesn't come from that. So like, like let's, let's, let's be real. The reason we all started the podcast was to expand our brand to make money, right. To, yep. to be able to raise more capital. So then the question becomes like, is, is the podcast doing its job? Well, 
there's a few different ways to look at that. The first way to look at it is like, are, is your podcast so famous that it's getting your name out there and people are hearing you on your podcast and then they become, and they'll be ultimately converted to investors, right? So that's one way to look at it. And, and I would say that the answer to that question is probably no, right? I mean, we get between five and 10,000 downloads a month. But if I look at all of my investors and all of my deals, I, I, I probably can't pinpoint one that just heard me on the podcast and because they heard me on the podcast became an investor. But what happens a lot is I get referred an investor and then they start to check me out, right? Yep. Go, oh, this dude's got a podcast. He's interviewed 200 other investors. Oh, this guy's got a website. Oh, this guy's got a nice marketing you know, deal. So like there was no cold conversion, right? By all that stuff that I designed for cold conversions. But when I get referrals, which 90% of my, you know, are from referrals, those referrals, the first thing they do is they check out my online presence where they see the website and yeah. they see the Instagram and they see the podcast. And, and now it, you've it got also, credibility. And now I've got credibility. Yep. Yep. And they so. can listen. So, and that's a good point. And now, now you've got credibility and it doesn't matter if it's a podcast, if it's a blog, if it's a YouTube channel, it's whatever, it, but you have to have some sort of online presence. You have to have some sort of presence around. And the nice thing is you get a referral from, from somebody and they say, Hey, check out, check out Sterling. And then, and then they check you out and they can, they can listen to, as many episodes as they want, they're evergreen. They can go in, they can check them out. They can go, well, okay, I like this guy. They can start to feel comfortable with you. By, by the time they actually call you up, they already know so much about you because they've heard you over and over and over again. They've listened to 10 episodes, right. 20 episodes, 50 episodes. I mean, I get investors that call me and like, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast for six years. Like, <laughs> what? You've been listening to me for six years? Like, yeah, I've, I haven't missed an episode. It's like, whoa, cool. You know, so, but it's it's that they get comfortable and confident with, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. I've, I've been following, I've been taking baby steps. Now we're ready to jump in. And it, it wasn't like you said, it wasn't necessarily because they cold found you and that's how they converted, but somehow, some way they, they got to your podcast and was like, okay, I like this guy. So I love it. Um, all right. I don't know. We went down so many rabbit holes, but I want to <laughs> rein this back in. Um, I got a couple last questions I want to ask you first, uh, a, a mistake that you have made and something that, you know, how, how can you pass down lessons to our, you know, to our listeners? So a mistake that you've made and what lesson did you learn? So, uh, one thing that I would say, uh, has probably caused me the most heartache over the years is, uh, sewer lines, mm. um, so might be the right there with you. No, don't be afraid to scope a sewer line. Yeah. Um, Do and, it. And like yeah. it's, it's a requirement. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, anytime that you've got any product built before, you know, 1980, really like anything in the seventies, sixties, fifties, they're either going to be the sewer lines were either going to be built with cast iron or like some type of clay. Yep. And those only last 50 to 70 years. And we're yep. coming up on 50 to 70 years. Mm -hmm. So if you're buying properties built in those time frames and they they haven't been converted to PVC yet, um, they're gonna give you problems sooner or later. Yep. And and they're expensive problems. They're they're it, like the most expensive problems. 
And by the way, even if it's built in the the 80s or 90s and it's in a area with a lot of trees, Jeez, you, yeah. make sure. I mean, uh, I would just do it. Just It's just an automatic for us now. I don't care when the building's built, unless it's built a couple of years ago, then we're, you know, we're not going to waste our time. But, you know, if it's 80s, 90s, even in the into the early 2000s, we're scoping those sewers, especially if there's trees yeah. around. You know, we're just going, hey. Because tree ruts can do, man, those yeah. things oh, are yeah. amazing. They're amazing. They can do some work. Love that one. Um, all right. We got, we asked the book. Uh, we got a couple of books, so that's good. We checked that off the list. The last question I got then is, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Ooh, yeah, um, I know. That's a that's an intense question. I feel like I should have gotten. You probably I should I should have prepped you for that, shouldn't I? Have? Yeah. Man, you, you, what what a terrible host I am. But now, but it's here. It's in front of you. To so be, what are to they? be to be fair, when you were on my show, I don't think I prepped you for the quote question. I'm yeah, <laughs> you're just like oh. um, the th- ask the question again. What are the three pillars? Yeah, to three pillars creation? of wealth creation. So so what are, what's important for you to either building wealth, obtaining wealth, or having wealth? Well, I think the first one is is the people aspect. Um, mm that that i think it gets overlooked a lot a lot of people um try and operate in a vacuum a lot of people try and operate from behind the screen and yeah. this business yeah. in, in every capacity from finding properties to managing properties to raising capital for properties to i mean the t- tenants I mean, it's just it is a people business yeah and um you know i don't want to cliche it up with the network is your network but it's it's so i cannot i cannot stress how important your network is um, in, in, in any, any part of the industry, right? Single family, multifamily. Um, it's, it's probably like that across every industry, but I feel it hard in this industry. Yep. The people, the people, um, the other one is, I would say, you know, buy for cash flow rather than appreciation. Um, I, I, I've made most of my wealth through appreciation, but I've not gone bankrupt because of the cash flow. Hmm. Good point right there. That's that's key right there. That's why cash flow is important, right? Cash flow is Keeps important you so, you, so you can stay alive, right? So you can survive because times will get lean. And if you don't have cash flow, that appreciation means nothing. It means nothing. Yeah. And 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 then for me, one um that and I don't I don't know if it's necessarily the the pillar to wealth creation, but it's the pillar to sane wealth creation. For me, it's building systems and processes that remove me from the business. Love it. Um, it's just, yeah. that's the only way to scale, right? Like I, there's no way I could be doing everything I'm doing today if it was just me. So you, you just, you have to replace yourself with people and processes. Um to, yeah, you to enjoy it, right? I mean, right. I mean, you work yourself like a dog if you don't and, and, and you'll, you just won't get it. And even doing that, you know, you can work yourself ragged, but you still won't get to where you can go. If you got the systems in place, the process in place, and, the people and, in place. And realistically, like gr- grind culture is, is, it's not, it's not even like productive, right? Like no. you, you just, you know what I mean? Like, like you, everybody wants to be this, like, oh, I'm a workaholic and I'm so proud of it. And I grind so much and I'm 24 seven, but you, when you don't rest properly, and you don't you know rejuvenate yourself spiritually right. and and relax and all and exercise and all that stuff you don't make good decisions you just 
you know what I mean? And yep. then you, you burn out your family and then you're three times yep. divorced. You know what I mean? It's just yep. like, like, what's the point of all this? <laughs> <laughs> what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I had, uh, maybe still have a little bit of that grind mentality and I try to make sure I juggle it with, with not so much, but it's easy to get into it. You talk, you hear it so often. Uh, I think, especially when I was younger, well, it was all about the I grind, mean, I, the grind, the grind. And, it, it, and it's, it's important, right? No, to, work, work ethic is hugely important. Yes. And my, my wife would tell you I'm a workaholic too. And I'm not, but I'm just saying like, let's, uh, I think we, we need to get away from the like glorifying. Glorifying. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know, agree. I mean, yeah. Love it. Well, Sterling, man, this is this has been good. I uh, want to wrap here with allowing you to let our listeners know where to, you know, where where can they connect? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm on, I'm everywhere. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube, uh, TikTok, and then you know you could always go to CrestworthCapital.com and download our free ebook, um, or, or just you know anybody reach out to me, Sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. Love it. Sterling, again, appreciate it. Lots of, lots of good value here. And uh, man, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Awesome. Thanks, Todd. You too, man. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.